You're listening to the CXMH Podcast. CXMH is a podcast at the intersection of faith and mental health. Hey, welcome back to the show. I, man, I feel like I, I feel like I forgot how to do it because it, it, it feels, we were just talking, it feels to us like it's been a long time. Hey, welcome back to the show. My name is Robert Vore and I'm one of your hosts and I'm joined as always by my co-host, Dr. Holly Oxhandler. Holly, how are you doing? Hey, Robert, I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm good. Now that I made it through the intro, it's it's <laughs> funny because it hasn't been that long, but it does no. feel like it's yeah. been quite some time. Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, but I think, I mean, I well, I'd be curious. Like, how was your, you know, how was your break? Did you get much of a break um, over the last couple of weeks? Um, somewhat. I mean, obviously, uh, Thanksgiving week happened, yes. and uh-huh. uh, for at least for all listeners in the United States, I suppose. Uh, but we hosted because it was just easier with Gray and whatnot, and so. Um, we had a kind of a variety of family come over for that, which was good. Um, and then mm-hmm. uh, just a, a, a much smaller portion actually stay with us for a couple days there. So that's always good. It's always one of those where it's, it's kind of a break, but then also kind of you want to make sure that you're being hospitable and things like that. Oh, so yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, not bad at all. You know, obviously not, right. you know, some people get like super overwhelmed by that. I didn't, at least this time, particularly. Uh-huh. Um, so it was, it was good. It was enjoyable, but also no. it's, you know, kind of getting back in the flow of things is always nice. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Well, I know we, yeah, we, I mean, we rested. So this was our first um, Thanksgiving holiday where uh, we didn't travel and Mm. it was just, and and we didn't have family come visit us. It was just Corey and me and the kids and it was really nice. I mean, it was kind of a bummer because Corey and Oliver were a little bit sick. And so Mm, that was you know, a big reason that kept us home. Plus, you know, this semester has been just such a great semester, but there have been a lot of opportunities for me to do things. And so that's, you know, I think the timing of needing some rest was, Corey was able to assess that and be like, ah, I think it'd be good for you to like, just kind of, just kind of park it this, this break. And yeah. yeah, so it was nice. And we got to, you know, we played a bunch and Callie and I crafted a bunch and, I got caught up on some non-academic reading, which was nice, and um, <laughs> those little, those simple joys. I mean, it was, and the weather was nice, so, I mean, it was good. It was yeah. a good, restful break. Like, yeah. for as much as we talk about the importance of self-care, I feel like, you know, this break actually gave me that opportunity to really practice it, which was good. Good, yeah. So, and we kind of talked about that in the last episode about sleep. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Kind of the flow of, of that and needing that and the importance of that. And also, that's good. Yes. Oh, yeah. and I've Practicing totally got what back. you podcast. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and I've totally gone back and listened to that episode too. So I definitely want to recommend if our listeners haven't listened to that one, I mean, just going back through and listening to it, it's like, yep, that's right. I need to. I need to be practicing this with my sleep. So, yeah, yeah so it was good. Good. Well, yeah. do you, this is an important question for the future. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-oh. How do you feel about the holiday season? Do you, do you like oh. it? Do you not like it? Is it stressful? Is it, I mean, what, do you, uh, what are your feelings? I love it. What are your thoughts, so I, I guess? love it. Well, no, feelings come easily as my, in my two-ness. I'm like, the feelings are right there, but my feelings are that I love it. And my thoughts are that I love it. It's definitely a little bit of a busier season, but I do love 
the thing that I love about it is just that opportunity to pause and be still and reflect and connect with those um, who I love and kind of do some of these little simple traditions. So like tonight, um, Baylor, I mean, it's Thursday. I know this episode will come out on Monday, but um, uh, tonight Baylor has their Christmas on 5th and we go with the kids every year and, you know, there's hot or there's hot chocolate and Santa and like those little traditions I love and uh, coupled with just, you know, being still and, and pausing and resting and, and and really getting to see life through my kids' eyes in the way that I do through Christmas. I mean, it's just, oh, it's so fun. I love yeah. it. Yeah. So I hope I passed your test. I don't know what <laughs> you did. No, I'm just curious because some people, you know, kind of bah humbug the whole thing for, for yeah. understandable reasons, not just, you know, this whole thing's right. done. But no, I right. love it in like – Maybe not any practical ways, but it just it it feels to me, or it seems to me like it's more cheery. You know, uh, yeah. I feel like a lot of the time, especially maybe in the work that that we do, or I don't know, there, there is kind of this like cynicism where like, oh, hope has to be like kind of have, you have to also acknowledge the pain and suffering and things, and I think uh-huh. all of that very much is true. Absolutely. Um, but there's something about yeah. flipping on like cheesy old Christmas carols, right? That yes. it kind of gets a pass on being cheesy. Um, yeah. and so, you know, you get to drive around and people make their houses look nice. There's like lights and stuff. And, uh, mm-hmm. I don't know something about it. It, all the things that normally I would think like, these are all very cheesy in my like kind of cynicalness. Uh-huh. Uh, they kind of, they get a pass and I like that. And Good. maybe that's more a perspective on me than it is. Cause I don't think any, you know, everyone's nicer. I don't know if that's particularly true, but maybe it's more a perspective <laughs> shift for me if I drive around and I think, this is so nice. Look at all this. Yeah, I love that. I do miss being in the North this time of year because I used to love, because I grew up in New York. And so being around all the snow during the holiday season mm-hmm. is completely different than being in Texas where I just, I do miss the snow, but I totally hear you like folks, you know, generally are in a better mood and are much more gracious to each other in a lot of ways. Um, and that's nicer. They tend to be more kind. But I am sensitive, as you mentioned, to the fact, too, that this this time of year is hard. And, yeah. you know, and I feel that, too. I think about, you know, loved ones who I lost. And, and I think about memories that this time of year brings up with uh, like memories that I had with, you know, family members who have passed and. Um, and I miss them and, and grieve, you know, them not being here still this time of year. But, um, but I, I do recognize too, the beauty in creating these new memories with my kids and with friends and loved ones. And so, yeah, I, I do love this time of year. I'll be honest. Yeah. Yeah. So what is the weirdest tradition that you uh, do with your kids or that you've started with your kids? Oh man. Oh, oh, I don't know. Um, (laughs) Let me think. Oh, I well, I don't know that it's weird. Um, well, sure. Okay, I, that's okay. fair. Yeah, so most I'll unique. Say, so, I don't. I'm not. You know, passing moral judgment on anybody's traditions. No, 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 no. That's okay. That's okay. So I don't know in terms of like weird, but the thing that I I love with my uh, doing with my kids this time of year is we bake cookies and we walk around. I have like a little like a little red wagon that I you know bring my kids around in, and we walk from neighbor's house to neighbor's house bringing cookies to our neighbors, and that's been my favorite tradition with my kids because it's giving us more opportunity to connect with our neighbors and and my kids love it I love baking with them around the holidays and watching them just be covered in flour and mess and I, I love that it really does help me 
be more present with them through this season. Your life, as you've just described it, is like a living Norman Rockwell painting. <laughs> oh, we um, all we bake cookies and it's a mess, and then we go in our old classic wagon and deliver them to people, and nobody thinks that's, that's weird. Good. Nobody is afraid that there's you know something weird yeah, in the cookies or. I probably should think of that, but maybe our neighbors are like, what is she doing? But I'll send a picture. I have a picture of us last year doing it, walking around the neighborhood. Um, but I just, I love it. I just love those opportunities to connect and get to know my neighbors. And sometimes it's hard to find those opportunities during the year. And so I like that the holidays, you know, kind of bring those out. So Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, that kind of fits with even what I was saying about like something that Normally, you would say, like, well, that's kind of cheesy or weird or whatever. There is kind of this, like, well, it's Christmas time or it's it's holiday season or whatever, you know. So, like, you kind of get a pass on doing things that yeah. now maybe we would cast more, more of a, a cynical glance towards. Yeah, and it does feel, I mean, I, to be honest, this also feels like one of those tangible loving my neighbors as myself things that I do. And so I do kind of appreciate it for that, you know kind of perspective too and te- and teaching my kids yeah. about this as well so yeah, anyways awesome. what about y'all what what are y'all I mean do you have any plans with gray this year and um, uh, anything you, know, you we want haven't to talked a bunch about it because he's probably still gonna be a little too young to uh, really comprehend much you know uh-huh. um, he'll be uh, just over eight months old come, uh-huh. come Christmas so we haven't really talked about you know really starting particular traditions or anything like that. Um, I think yeah, yeah. probably we'll, we'll get into that more next year. Well, hey, tell me about this week's episode. If you oh, want to. Yes. To yeah. No, I'm happy to. So this week, um, we have Dr. Kenneth Pargament um, as our guest. He is someone who I had connected with back in, oh, it was about a decade ago. Actually, truth be told, I don't think I mentioned this in the episode, but he is actually the one who was giving a lecture on the integration of religion and spirituality in a mental health treatment that it felt like the lightning bolt moment for me that was like, this is what I want to study for the rest of my life. Like, this is what I want to dedicate my life's work to. He was giving this lecture at Baylor Grand Rounds in Houston, Texas, and he does a ton of work on you know, spiritually integrated uh, mental health treatment and um, religious coping and developing these interventions that are connected to spiritually integrated psychotherapy. But his work is phenomenal. So it was really an honor to get to have him come on and talk about this um, just around his research in general. But then we also had this wonderful opportunity to get you know, for him to talk a little bit about how this ties in with Judaism too. And, you know, what is spiritually integrated psychotherapy look like with, uh, within the Jewish tradition? So that was awesome. And, you know, I, I've, I've really gone back to, there's one quote that our listeners, um, hopefully you catch in the episode where he was saying, holy, 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 the whole earth is holy. And that being such a, a, uh, base note in a lot of ways to to what he does, the work that he does. And I've kind of gone back to that quote a few times since with this recording. But just hearing how he, he talks about 
um, spiritually integrated psychotherapy in general, but then specifically with within Judaism and then the different types of religious coping that we might engage with that's positive or negative. I, I mean, I loved this episode. I don't know. What did, what did you think? Yeah, no. Well, I, I definitely loved it. And I what I was going to say is obviously there's a ton in there. You keep mentioning kind of spiritually integrated therapy, but also, we talk a lot about those coping skills and how what, yes. what role do religious and spiritual beliefs play in coping? And so even for, you know, the, the segments of our audience to say, well, I'm not doing therapy, so I don't know that that particularly matters. Right. I do think that 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 part is still, I mean, even oh, if you're in therapy, or anything, but it's, yeah, yeah, I mean, there's what, what types of spiritual religious beliefs can we like see are... Uh, tend to be positive coping mechanisms or mm-hmm. negative coping mechanisms potentially like what are some problematic ones or mm-hmm. and things like that and and what is that what implications does that have for our everyday life and um and for yep. how we understand mental health and faith interweaving and things like that and so yeah i thought i mean i think it's phenomenal yeah i thought yeah it's definitely relevant i think for anyone especially the focus on the religious coping and and not just within the christian tradition but within all three abrahamic traditions um like he did a great job of tying it in with all that well hey one thing that i thought of just now that we should have mentioned maybe earlier in the episode or we could have uh-huh. is that in the past couple of weeks cxmh has passed fifty thousand yes. listens or downloads Yay! or however you want to say that uh, which, to be fair, probably happened a month or so before that <laughs> based on there's a handful of times that I messed up the thing that, that tracks it. But that's okay. doesn't matter. That's okay. It's okay. We have evidence of yeah. 50,000 downloads and listens. So yeah. So it's uh, amazing. A huge thank you, obviously, yeah. to everyone involved on the back end of the show, you, me, Steve, whatever, uh, everyone that supports the show helps make that possible on Patreon, things like that. Yeah. All the guests, you know, I tweeted out kind of this huge long list of guests I and know. things. I yes. But then also very, very obviously, hopefully, is a huge thank you to uh, you listening. The listeners, obviously, we don't, I mean, I, I didn't listen to the show 50,000 times. Uh, <laughs> so people that are interested and that are listening and that, that are sub- subscribed and reviewing and sharing it with their friends, I mean, yes. the amount of people that say, oh, so-and-so told me about this show or whatever is is outstanding to me and so a huge thank you to everyone involved but particularly maybe even the listeners to have something that started as just like i don't know maybe i'll start this podcast you know to kind of keep these conversations going and then uh just involved tons of hours of googling how do you start a podcast and things uh, yeah to be sitting here you know i guess a year and a half two and a half years later whichever it is yeah. And to see that numbers is It's amazing. It's it's I humbling, mean, it, honestly. It, yeah. It yes, it absolutely is. Well, we have some changes and things in yes. the way that we are engaging the audience and That's uh, right. some opportunities for Patreon supporters and things like that that we are mm-hmm. Hammering out the details of, I'll say, yes. uh, kind of yes. in celebration of 50,000 listens and just, we, you know, ways that we want to make sure that we're engaging people more and more and that this mm-hmm. really feels like your thing, not you, but listener you, right? your yes. thing as well as, as ours. And so stay tuned for some of that. But if you, if you want to make sure that you hear about that, you can subscribe to the newsletter. You can sign up as a, a monthly supporter on Patreon. You can give one time, all that, blah, 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 blah. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, we posted a couple times on Giving Tuesday about those options. So if if you want to learn more about those, you can scroll back through or 
it's always in the end of the show notes, but uh Yes. Yeah. Well, we already introduced the episode. We took kind of yes. a, a turn there because I remembered, but no, that's let's fine. get on into it. Thanks again, obviously, to everyone. Holly, yes. thanks for being here yes. today, chatting with oh, you. Oh, well, thank you, Robert, and thank <laughs> you to our listeners, too. We are, yeah. we're so grateful for y'all. Well, here we go. Here's our episode with Dr. Kenneth Pargament. Enjoy, y'all. Today, Robert and I are joined by Dr. Ken Pargament as our guest. Dr. Pargaman is nationally and internationally known for his research addressing religious beliefs and health. He is a professor emeritus of psychology at Bowling Green State University, where he has been on faculty since 1979 and is practicing clinical psychologist who has worked with people from diverse spiritual backgrounds. Dr. Pargament has published extensively on the vital role of religion and spirituality in coping with stress and trauma, and he has been a leading figure in the effort to bring a balanced view of religion and spirituality to the attention of scientists and professionals. He is the author of The Psychology of Religion and Coping, Theory, Research, and Practice, Spiritually Integrated Psychotherapy, Understanding and Addressing the Sacred, and he's the editor of the American Psychological Association's Handbook of Psychology, Religion, and Spirituality. And he is a prolific writer in academic journals. Dr. Pargament, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. Good, good. Is there anything that I missed in the bio that uh, you want to add? Um, well, I'm now a, a new grandfather, so that oh, adds oh, just to my life. That's awesome. Congratulations. That's Thank right. You. Is that with sweet little Oliver, right? Sweet little Oliver and sweet little Emmy. So oh. uh, I went from uh, famine to feast. <laughs> oh. <laughs> That's wonderful. Congratulations to you and your family. Thank you. Well, I imagine that many of our uh, mental health care providers who are interested in spiritually integrated psychotherapy are aware of uh, you and your work and that you truly have been a pioneer in this field of spiritually integrated psychotherapy. Um, do you mind telling us a little bit about your journey into this line of work and research? Sure. It's been a pretty a lifelong journey, really. I went into psychology because... I thought it would help me answer the big questions that I was struggling with. Questions about why we're here, what's the meaning of it all, how do we help people live better lives. But I found that the psychology that I was trained in in the 1970s, um, and it was uh, a behavioral psychology that focused a lot on principles of reward and punishment, that kind of psychology really didn't address the deeper questions that I was interested in and I thought lots of people uh, are struggling with. So I began to do more reading in the area of religion and kind of got hooked in studying the ways that people uh, turn to their faith in times of stress and trauma uh, for better or worse. And there's only a, a short step from that research to looking at how can we address religious and spiritual issues as they arise in psychotherapy. Hmm. I think that's so good. And it's actually similar to part of kind of the heartbeat behind this show is that we know people turn to their faith leaders or their spirituality in terms of crises. And so if we can 
you know, integrate that with mental health, that definitely makes sense. But I, I would ask you, I guess, just pose the question, why does the integration of spirituality and mental health, because that's, you know, the whole thing here, why does that matter? Why is that important? Well, I, there are a number of, I think, good reasons to bring these two worlds together. Um, one reason is, is that, you know, we live in a, a culture that uh, continues to be very involved in religious and spiritual issues. Um, the large majority of people in the United States believe in God. Um, mm -hmm. The large majority of people see God's presence in different aspects of life. Um, the large majority of people feel that God is uh, a, a source of support and uh, comfort to them in difficult times. And as a matter of fact, among some groups, minorities, uh, older people, uh, they turn to God first before any other resource when they run into problems in life. So for many people, spirituality and religion are powerful resources that can be real adjuncts to uh, the work that we do in, in mental health. And it's also the case that most people would like to see some integration of mm -hmm. their faith in treatment. And um, there's good evidence to suggest that doing so can enhance the effectiveness of, of the work that we do as mental health professionals. So there are a lot of good, solid, evidence-based reasons for bridging religion and mental health. Hmm. That's so good. So just to make sure, you know, kind of we're all on the same footing and things like that, so we know what it is that we're discussing. When you talk about religion or spirituality, you're not necessarily advocating for one specific thing, right? Can you kind of define those terms or talk about the difference between those as we get into the conversation? Sure. Well, uh, we think of spirituality as, as really a process or a journey. It's what people do to seek out and form and maintain a relationship with whatever they hold sacred in life. And for many people, the sacred is a, uh, uh, some understanding of God. Uh, but for some people who may not be theists, the sacred may have to do with uh, nature, uh, family, loving relationships, uh, music. Lots of things can be held sacred. Whatever people hold sacred, uh, spirituality is about how they seek out and form and maintain a relationship with that, that sacred aspect of life. Religion, as we think about it, is the kind of the context in which spirituality unfolds. Religion is an institutional context, and its, its primary function is to foster spirituality in the lives of people. So spirituality occurs oftentimes within religious institutions and settings. That's not to say that you have to be religious to be spiritual. Uh, some people are spiritual outside of traditional religious contexts, but for most people, they find their pathway to the sacred within an organized religious setting. I think that's a good distinction because I know there's, yeah. you know, we see some trends of a rise in the nuns and duns, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. The people who say, I don't associate yeah. with any systemic right. religion, but spirituality you would say, based on research and things, still plays, you know, an important role in people's lives and mental health and coping, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. Uh, surveys show that the, the number of people who call themselves spiritual but not religious is growing, but they still are a minority. And most people, if you ask them to describe themselves, will say they're both spiritual and religious. Yeah. Yeah. And that makes sense. I know you've written about 
um, certainly this overlap between religion and spirituality, especially in terms of feelings and beliefs and practices and, you know, just how we go about caring about ourselves. There, There is some overlap, but I do appreciate how you've distinguished that, you know, you could be could have those who identify as religious or not spiritual or spiritual, but not religious um, and kind of a mix of all of that. Um, Yeah. Well, our listeners are certainly, we often have, um, or we find that a lot of our listeners are a mix of religious leaders, mental health care providers, and then certainly those who are impacted by mental health, either personally or by a loved one. And we talk quite a bit about Christianity and mental health, um, hence the the title of the podcast. But I really, really wanted to hear a little bit from you about um, your work with Judaism and mental health and how we see Judaism intersecting with mental health practices, beliefs, uh, et cetera. Um, Sure. Well, you know, I think it's uh, very difficult, if not impossible, to disentangle Judaism and mental health. Judaism is a religion very much concerned with uh, the kind of the, the movement from heaven to earth. In, in one of the prayers that Jews say on a daily basis is that is holy, 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 the whole earth is holy. And the idea there is that God has created the world and has made the, the world a holy place, a sanctified place. So mm. the job of... Um, of life according to Judaism is to participate with God, to work together with God to make the world uh, a better place, uh, to bring holiness to relationships, to um, uh, to work, to just every aspect of life that's uh, essential to Judaism. And there are a lot of mental health implications in all of that. Yeah, that makes that makes perfect sense. I love that that prayer too. That um, you had mentioned the holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is holy. I love that and jotted yeah. that down. Well, could you give like an example if you've had a client who identifies as Jewish, like how you've been integrating, you know, his or her belief system into mental health treatment? Well, um, I had a client a few years ago, a, a woman with a brain tumor, and she's Jewish. And she um, was only given two years to live. And I, I asked her, um, mm. what in her life did she hold sacred? And that's an important question, not mm. only for Jews, but for any client. But for Jews, it gives you a sense of where they find their sacred spark, where do they find their sacred meaning. And it also would connect to the kind of work I would do in therapy with her. And she told me that she had... Um, four sons, and her youngest one was 10 years old. And even though she was only given two years to live, what was sacred to her was the possibility or the dream of being able to live long enough to see her son bar mitzvah. Mm. It's a Jewish rite of passage that yeah. augurs in the transition from a childhood to adulthood at the age of 13. So I worked with her to... Um, help her achieve her goal, help her deal with all of the pain and suffering she would have to go through to uh, deal with her uh, cancer and uh, help her draw on all of her resources, her family, her religious community, um, all of those resources that she had needed to be mobilized and, and strengthened to help her get through such a difficult time. And and, and it, she was successful. As a matter of fact, she lived 
uh, to see her son almost graduate high school. Oh, wow. So, you know, that's, an ex that's just one example. There are many, many resources in every religious tradition that can be accessed in therapy, but um, this is an example from my work with Jews. Mm, that's so good. Well, and I, I love how you're highlighting, you know, these very sacred practices and celebrations and um, and just how those do vary across faith traditions, but that as mental health care providers, you know, it, it is really important for us to be mindful of those and attentive to those, certainly focusing on what is most important for our clients and what they're wanting and, and in many ways letting them lead the way. But I well, love that in, example. In, yeah. In the religions of the world, we often find wonderful uh, resources that that our clients can draw on as they go through difficult times. Among Jews, for instance, there are some really powerful rites of passage that help people negotiate transitions through different phases of life. For instance, within Judaism, there's a, a, um, a ritual uh, following the death of a loved one uh, called uh, sitting Shiva, mm -hmm. which involves uh, going over to the... Uh, uh, loved one's home or family's home uh, where you visit with the mourner for the week after the uh, the death and, and funeral of a loved one. And you go there to help talk about the person, to provide food and conversation to the people who are grieving. But it's all about kind of facilitating that transition, or the transition from someone who is in a regular status in life to being a mourner and to help them cushion the loss with the knowledge that they still remain part of a community of love and caring and that there is some continuity in spite of the fact that someone's been torn from their lives. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a great example too of that. Oh, so important. Um, well, this transitions a little bit into one of the other questions that uh, we had for you that I was thinking about is one, one area that you're most known for in your work is around religious coping, um, especially among the Abrahamic faith traditions, which, of course, includes Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Do you mind explaining to us a little bit about what those various types of religious coping are? and maybe a bit about what their impact is um, on our mental health? Sure. Well, the, in the religions of the world, we find a variety of oh, resources or even call them tools or mechanisms to help people come to terms with the difficult times in their lives. And, and these, these tools or resources can help people make meaning of their pain and suffering. They can help people foster a closeness within their communities. They can help people get better control of themselves. They can help people find some comfort and soothing in their most difficult times. Uh, and most importantly, these coping resources help people uh, sustain a relationship with, with God or whatever they hold sacred. So religious coping can serve many, pe many purposes. That's part of the power of religious life that it offers different um, resources for people who are expressing different needs. In our research, we've been able to identify a variety of these tools that are helpful to people. And I should, I should add that our research really started by simply talking to people who were going through 
tough times and asking them in what way was their, uh, their faith involved in coping with their life stressors. And it's through their own lived experiences that we were able to identify these coping resources. Mm, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so can you, there's, there are a few types of coping mechanisms though that, that I know you've highlighted in your work. Um, I'm thinking of three in particular. Do you, do you want to unpack and tell our listeners about those different types of coping? Well, I can give you a few examples. Um, uh -huh. um, one of the powerful resources uh, religion and spirituality offer is the ways of appraising or framing negative events in a more ultimately benevolent or positive light through the lens of a faith tradition, a, a, a difficult experience in life, an illness, uh, a natural disaster, death. These all are certainly sources of suffering and pain, but pain and suffering don't have the last word from a religious point of view. And, and through the religious or spiritual lens, these kinds of events are also opportunities for growth, a chance to um, become uh, spiritually wiser, closer to God, and they may be a source of uh, meaning and, and personal transformation. So redefining these negative events in a more ultimately hopeful light is something as, of tremendous hope to many, many people. We're going through very dark times in their life, and, and our research shows that these positive spiritual reappraisals or reframings of the meaning of these events can really help people weather these difficult storms and trials in life. Mm, so good. Mm, yeah. Well, so so you've unpacked a little bit about positive religious coping. I know that there's also some negative religious coping mechanisms that can often bubble up sometimes. Can you give some examples of what those look like? Sure. Um, for most people, their their faith is a tremendous source of comfort and uh, meaning and support in difficult times. But we also know that at times, difficult life situations also uh, trigger what we call religious or spiritual struggles and and struggles or negative religious coping we define as as tensions and strains and conflicts and questions about sacred matters and that may involve conflicts with God Some mm. feel angry to God or feel they're being punished by God or feel abandoned by God um, the these struggles may involve um, other people. So there's no shortage of conflicts people experience with others, with their uh, religious leaders or with their family or their friends or people in their community about various sacred issues. Um, and then we have um, spiritual conflicts or struggles within the self. So we have conflicts of, of about ultimate meaning about whether or not there's a real purpose in life for the individual or conflicts about uh, moral concerns, whether the individual is living up to his or her higher spiritual values. And all these different kinds of struggle have been tied pretty clearly to signs of uh, distress, including depression and anxiety, even poor physical health. So, and they do come up in therapy as well. 
So this is an important aspect of religious life too, the struggles people go through in their spiritual journey. Mm, absolutely. And it, and you're right it is that um, these struggles are something that certainly mental health care providers cannot ignore. And then even those who you know are wrestling with some of these struggles, just um, being mindful of potentially what it is that, that they're experiencing. I know you've also written quite a bit about a few different types of coping styles, um, particularly I'm thinking of the deferring, self-directed, and collaborative styles that those with within an Abrahamic tradition might utilize. Do you mind explaining a little bit about what those three are and how we might see those in practice? Sure. Um, well, this was some of our earlier work, and it grew out of our interest in trying to understand how people may turn to their faith and to their relationship with God in particular when they feel like they're at the limits of their own control. So how is their faith or relationship with God involved in trying to get control over the problems that arise in their lives? And through, again, interviews and then more quantitative or uh, research-based methods, we found that we were able to identify three types of uh, religious problem-solving styles. Mm. The first type is what we think about when we think about most people, how they deal with problems, which is they try to solve them themselves. This is self-directing religious coping. And in, in this form, you basically, it rests on the idea that God gave us a brain, so use it. It's self-directing. <laughs> a second style that we identified we called deferring, which is the kind of style in which when a problem comes up, you defer the problem to God. You say, here, God, this is on you. This is too much for me. I'm giving it over to you. And the third style um, is kind of in between those other two styles, and we called it collaborative. And that's the style in which when problems come up, you work together with God as a partner as a collaborator in problem solving. So it, the responsibility is not all yours, and it's not all on God. It's on the relationship that you have with God. And we developed ways of uh, measuring these three styles of religious coping or problem solving. And, um, and we found that the most common style was the collaborative style. Mm. Most people see God as a partner which kind of challenges the view that religious people are passive and just defer everything to God. People more often uh, look to God as a partner and work together with God to solve problems. And that, that style seems to have really good implications for your mental health and well-being. Yeah, I was going to, I think you touched on it there, but I was going to ask between those three, do you see different outcomes in terms of problem solving or mental wellness or, or things like that? Yeah, the uh, collaborative turns out to be the winner overall. But there are times when deferring and self-directing can make more sense and be more helpful. And that may depend on whether the problems that you're facing are controllable or not controllable. So when you when you reach the limits of your own control or power, the, the wisest thing to do may be to say, I, I've done what I can, I'm giving it up to God to surrender. On the other hand, when you have a problem that, that is something controllable and it's it's in your hands, then you should be directing yourself in, in large part to try to do what you can to solve the problem in your life. But collaborative may be helpful in, in all situations. So uh, 
that's why we talk about it as a, it looks like that's the more generally helpful religious problem solving style. Yeah, that makes sense. That's, yeah, it does. No, and I I love hearing you unpack this because I I'll, I'll say that when I talk with students about these various um, religious coping styles, it's almost like a light bulb just turns on and like, oh, that that makes sense. I I that makes sense why I've had some clients come in and and lean on you know, well, I'll I'll just let. God take over in this situation. And then you have other clients who come in and, and talk about that partnership um, with their higher power. And so I think it's just so helpful in terms of um, just kind of unpacking these, these different coping styles. So I really appreciate you uh, going through those with us. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I'm actually going through, I think Holly mentioned it earlier, but I'm currently working my way through a training that you and uh, Dr. Michelle Pierce, who we've talked to a couple weeks ago, set up. It's a spiritual competency training for mental health professionals. But one of the things that I think is really interesting is the there's a discussion about, you know, being able to assess spiritual beliefs, religious beliefs, and ones, you know, kind of that are having positive effects on our life, our mental health, and ones that are having negative. And I think you've given a couple examples of both. But if I'm just an individual, right, I'm not a mental health professor, or maybe I am, but in my personal life, I'm just listening to this. Do you have any practical tips or ideas in terms of how can I kind of assess my own religious and spiritual beliefs and try to parse down into are they having positive impacts? Are they having negative impacts? things like that? Well, I guess I should preface this by saying that the, the, the positive versus negative distinction is a little bit oversimplified, and I'm, I'm responsible for that. But um, I, I want to point out that even what we call the negative religious coping or spiritual struggles, they, they're, I think of them as a fork in the road, that through our questioning and our stresses and our conflicts and tensions, with sacred matters, um, at times they lead to positive transformation and growth. And, and without struggles in life, uh, we wouldn't be able to move forward. So the struggles mm. in and of themselves aren't a problem. It depends how we deal with them. Do we have the mm. kind of the resources to try to make some sense out of them and to come to terms with them and to grow as a result? Um, the religions of the world uh, they're all founded on figures who, in fact, struggled. Uh, Jesus Christ struggled on the cross. Moses struggled. Uh, Muhammad struggled. Buddha struggled. Their part of their struggles are an essential part of the, the stories of major religious figures, and they were the the source of uh, uh, world-changing transformation. So even if people are struggling with their faith at times, I'd say that's not necessarily uh, a bad sign. It could be a sign of wonderful things to come. Mm, it's so good to hear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so so I think that's really helpful in thinking about um, some practical steps for those who maybe aren't religious leaders or mental health care providers, but just in general. But do you have some practical steps as well for maybe specifically for mental health care providers or religious leaders when it comes to considering the religious coping methods of those that are in um, their care? Sure. You know, when I, I try to present some of this material to mental health professionals, sometimes they get overwhelmed because it feels like mental health professionals are being asked to do so much are now being asked to do something even more on top of it. Um, mm. but what I say is you can start small. 
um, and just start with a few basic questions to your clients in the assessment process. And I think you'll be surprised at what your clients will reveal to you. The clients have, a, I think, uh, many have an interest in exploring this deeper dimension to their lives in therapy. So if therapists uh, voice their own willingness to talk about it, then the clients may help lead them into this really fruitful area. So I, you know, I suggest two basic questions to ask clients. One is uh, when they're doing an assessment uh, to ask, has your religion or spirituality been involved in the ways you've tried to handle the problems you're experiencing? And if so, how? Mm-hmm. Now that kind of basic question gets at the possibility that their spirituality or religion is in fact a coping resource. And you can then begin to delve more deeply into it with them. The other question is, how have your problems affected you religiously or spiritually? Now, that question opens up the door to the possibility of spiritual struggles, the possibility that they've been impacted by their problems, not only psychologically, socially, and physically, but spiritually as well. And for some clients, my experience has been, it's the spiritual struggle, the spiritual impact of their problem that's the most relevant of all. And if, if again, if we as mental health professionals let our clients know we're willing and interested in exploring some of their spiritual lives, then clients are oftentimes more than happy to uh, open up that way to us. Hmm. If you are interested in, you know, why maybe therapists don't are as comfortable talking about spirituality, feel free to go back and listen to episode thirty-one, where Dr. Holly Oxhandler was the guest talking about some of her research. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, there's a lot of work to be done across the board for everyone, and yet, you know, Robert and I have talked about it's it's good to see that there are so many who've done so much good work to move this forward, including um, Dr. Pargament. Well, well, and I will sorry, just yeah. real quick, I will say no, if if you're a mental health professional and you're listening to this, we mentioned it before, but that that spiritual competency training that Michelle and Ken put together is all online and it's free and, you know, I'm working my way through it right now, but it really is actually very fascinating and very practically helpful in terms of, you know, not trying to get you to do Christian counseling or something like that, but just how do you competently incorporate spirituality, working with that aspect of your clients in a therapy setting, because that, that already is an aspect of your client. So to ignore it is kind mm-hmm. of to ignore one whole chunk of them. So um, yeah. we'll, we'll obviously drop that link in the show notes, but it's it's well worth your time, I would say, if you're you know a mental health professional and thinking, well, I never got training in how to assess people's spiritual beliefs, because mm-hmm. you might not have. Yeah, most haven't. I mean, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah we've We've been very uh, excited and gratified by the response to the program so far. Uh, we've had lots and lots and lots of mental health professionals who've uh, signed on to the program, and we're really excited about looking at how helpful it is to people. We're going to be evaluating that right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll email you an invoice for my uh, ad right there. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. I don't, I don't know the grant cover that, but <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, well, so you talked a little bit about, you know, these practical steps for mental health care providers. What about religious leaders? Are there some practical steps that you have for religious leaders and considering, you know, their congregation members or, you know, those who are in their care with regard to their religious coping methods? 
Well, you know, I think religious leaders are uh, are sitting on a gold mine of resources for their members. And I think until recently, religious leaders and uh, pastoral counselors and chaplains were really relying a lot on psychological methods for helping their uh, people in their churches or people in their parishes, uh, people in hospitals. And what our research shows is that Really, the, in, in the, the religions of the world contain these tremendous resources, gold nuggets, that can and should be accessed in treatment. And so I, I would encourage religious leaders to, to make use of the resources that come with their faith tradition in ways that are, of course, sensitive to the, the people that they're working with, their needs and their own desires. But it's, a, it's about just mining deeply into your own faith tradition in ways to help your your people. Hmm. So this is probably, I'm going to ask you a, a question, and it's probably going to lead to some oversimplification, which is kind of the, the thing, or it might be hard to simplify, but it's a question that, that I've been asked you know, a decent amount, and maybe you have some research to back this up or not, but overall... Is there any indication that you know religious affiliation or spiritual beliefs have a generally positive or negative impact on on people's mental health? I mean, obviously that's a person by person basis, but overall, are there trends that say this is a good thing or a bad thing or anything like that? Well, I mean, I think if you take a look at the thousands and thousands of studies that have been done on the links between religion and mental health, and you just kind of give each study a plus or a minus, is religion helpful or is it harmful? Uh, religion comes out clearly on the positive side. Overall, mm. it seems to be a, a mm. force for um, greater life satisfaction and mental health and well-being. But the question is so general that I'm not sure how useful it really is. Because <laughs> there are some aspects of religion and spirituality that can be destructive. We know mm -hmm. that yeah. today. Yep. And, are, and it's not enough to know that religion can be generally helpful to you. We want to take it one step further and try to identify, well, what is it about religious life that makes the difference? And that's where the work is being, that's where a lot of the exciting work has been done in the last 30 or 40 years. And that's still mm -hmm. the cutting edge in the field, trying to identify what are the distinctive resources religion brings to bear to, to its adherence. And if religion is destructive, then what is it about religious life that can be destructive to people as well? Mm, yeah, it's so important. And and exactly what you're saying, just being able to disentangle that um, and look at it a little bit more closely. But I agree, you know, I agree you're highlighting the fact that there is this growing body of literature that that is suggesting that um, it tends to have a positive impact on people's mental health. But we do have to pay attention to some of that nuance, too. That's really good. Well, um, something that I've been asking whenever we've had researchers come on, I really have been interested in learning a little bit more about the heartbeat behind their research. I know that there's so much work that goes into each study, each grant application, each article that's written, each, you know, all those efforts to, you know, to disseminate your findings. And so I, you know, as a fellow academic and researcher, I know that there's just this deep love and heartbeat that usually is behind what we're doing. So I'm curious, 
if you could tell us a little bit about what that heartbeat is um, behind your research or what it is that you hope for your research and and for all the, the great work that you're doing. Well, it's a really great question, Holly. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd be interested in your answer, too, because you're you're also a very oh. active and uh, productive researcher in your own right, a rising star oh. in this field. Um, Thank you. You know, the the I, I went into the, the field because um, I didn't kind of have a, a clear map or compass to guide me. And um, I didn't have a strong intuitive sense of how to make a difference in people's lives. And so I've always needed research in some ways to offer me some guidance. And, you know, psychology has taught me a lot about how we help people gain greater control and mastery in their lives. But more personally, what I find so important about religion and spirituality is it, it complements psychology by focusing on how do you come to terms with human limitations? How do you mm -hmm. deal with the fact that we're all frail beings and we all eventually die? How do we come to terms with the limits of our control and mastery? And that's always been a question I've struggled with in my life, and it's very personally meaningful to me, and I'm trying to learn about it, and uh, both through research and clinical practice as well, because I've I'm been so often inspired by some of the clients I've worked with who are models for how you come to terms with human frailty and human finitude. So that's one of the driving forces behind my own interest in this area and why I continue to stay interested and involved, even though I've been at it now for, geez, I've been at it for more than 40 years. <laughs> and we are grateful. <laughs> well, yeah, thank you. Yeah, I love that, though. That's that's beautiful. And I would just, I mean, I've talked a little bit about my why behind this type of work in the intro episode, but 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 it echoes very much that you know you just that that deep curiosity and it's such a strong driving force i mean when when folks learn about all of what you know researchers do behind the scenes um before that article gets out you know you really do have to have some deep deep intrinsic motivation to be doing that or sense of curiosity or something and and i think you articulated that beautifully thanks holly well yeah. you know i also tie it back to my own faith tradition being Jewish, and as I said earlier uh, in, in, in our conversation, that part of the job, uh, in, in, as I see it in my life, is to uh, be a partner with God and trying to help make the world a better place. And the way I tend to approach it with my own, whatever talents I have, may be through being a psychologist and trying to answer some of these questions and apply these answers to people who are struggling in their lives. Uh, so it's it's my kind of part of my own sacred mission. Mm, I love that. Oh, that's so good. Well, if you'd like to connect with Dr. Ken Pargament, we will have his email in the notes, uh, the show notes. We'll also have a link to his books in the show notes. And um, we've mentioned the, this training on spiritual competency during our conversation. So if you're, if you're a mental health care provider that's interested in receiving that training on spiritual competency in mental health treatment, uh, we'll include a link to that opportunity in the show notes as well. 
If you'd like to connect with Robert Bohr, you can find him at robert-bohr.com or on social media at Robert Bohr. You can find me at hollyoxhandler.com or on Twitter at hollyoxhandler. But Dr. Pargument, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah. Do you have any closing words for our listeners? Um, I just would express my own gratitude for all of the people in your audience uh, and the two of you who are kind of highlighting the importance of the integration of the spiritual dimension into our lives. It's all part of being a whole human being. And again, if we don't pay attention to the spiritual dimension of who we are, then the work that we do will be incomplete. So uh, thank you for all of your work and promoting it. Mm, thanks. Yes, thank you so much. Well, you are welcome back anytime. Um, but thanks again for joining us today, Dr. Pargment. Okay, well, y'all have a good day. You thanks, too. you too. Thanks for listening to the CXMH podcast. Want to score some major brownie points? Leave us five stars and an honest review on iTunes. Follow us on social media at CXMH Podcast and email us with questions, comments, and interview requests at CXMHpodcast at gmail.com. A final note. If you're in a dark place today, struggling with suicidal thoughts, you are not alone. Professional help is available 24-7 at 1-800-273-8255.